Welcome to the Orange Crest Community Church Podcast. Our hope is that this weekly podcast provides both encouragement and challenge as you move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Have you ever unintentionally driven on the wrong direction in the freeway? You meant to go north, but you're going south. Has anybody ever done that before? i got to let you know, driving in the wrong direction without noticing is a special skill of mine. <laughs> I, you know, I used to get so upset if I'm driving the wrong way, and especially if traffic on, you know, going backtracking is really bad, it, is just, it just drives you crazy. Uh, I, I took a team of high school students to uh, one of our network churches in Northern California, and uh, we had just barely left Southern California, and I'm driving into the desert. The wrong direction. I send, and I realized it, so I turn around. All the teenagers in the back are like, where, what's going on? Where are we going? And I'm like, guys, you need to understand something. We've got a long drive, and I'm behind the wheel, so that's just the first time we're going to be turning around, is my guess. <laughs> There's moments when I, you know, I'm driving, I'm feeling good, I, I'm headed in the right direction, and I couldn't be more wrong. You know, you could call it a delusion. Uh, all the road signs, all, you know, the GPS, everything's pointing in the right direction, and in my happy delusion, I just fly on by. Uh, what I've learned is that reality does not bend to my perspective, no matter how sincere I am. When driving, it doesn't matter how firmly I believe I'm going the right way. If it's wrong, it is wrong. <laughs> Consequences for this are relatively small when it comes to driving. But what if we're headed in the wrong direction in bigger issues of life and totally unaware? For example, marriages that are, that are founded on the wrong perspective about how marriage really ought to work, those fall apart, and there can be a lot of fallout from that. Or finding a job with the wrong perspective or the wrong assumptions about what's really going to bring fulfillment in life. Jobs can become like vampires, sucking the life out of you, giving little in return. Reality simply does not bend to our beliefs or our perspective, no matter how sincere we are about them. And so if we're operating in life from a wrong perspective, uh, we would do well to learn the truth, and as fast as possible. I'm Bruce. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Orange Crest Community Church, and I'm really glad that you've joined us. There's a delusion I think most of us live with. There's an approach to life that's so destructive, and yet most of us are totally unaware of it. There's a delusion that can ruin our relationships, especially the ones that are closest to us. It can soak a bitterness about life and about God that burns over time. It's a delusion that can leave us feeling constantly offended, unsatisfied, and exhausted. Here it is. My delusion is that I'm entitled to far more than I think I deserve. Fully living under the haze of this particular delusion is kind of like driving in the wrong direction. Maybe even driving on the wrong side of the freeway. Huge consequences can flow from, from our life if we're operating from this perspective. When I was in college... I lived on the second floor of my dormitory. On the first floor, the residence director, the family there, they got a puppy. And the puppy would bark during the day, and it would drive me crazy. It would, I'd be in my room, I had to study or sleep in the afternoon, and the dog would be barking, it would just you know, echo through the walls. And it would, I, I had so many reasons stacked up in my mind about why I deserved to take care of this dog <laughs> and for things to be quiet. I tried to go up line, to other staff members at the college, I received no sympathy. Uh, there was no change. So I just started complaining to other people, my friends. You know, can you guys believe this? My goodness. This, you know, they can't do this. Whether it was right 
or wrong for you know this RD family to, to bring a dog into the dorm was besides the point. What I couldn't see was who I was becoming. I was so focused. I was so I felt so offended and frustrated. Uh, it was leading me to a dark, very distracted and self-justified place. It just got under my skin and I couldn't, I couldn't get it out. And how arrogant, honestly, for me to think the entire dorm should revolve around my preferences was just good for me. This is a blinding delusion that I think we can easily fall prey to. And you know you've been living in this delusion if you've ever said something like, I've had a hard life, so I deserve to get what I want. Or, I've worked hard to get myself to this point, and I don't owe anybody anything. I got myself here. Kids you know, fall into this when they say, I was here first. <laughs> I'm older. Yeah, that's a pretty good argument, right? <laughs> Parents, they turn around and they say, I brought you into this world. And so you had better do what I say. You know, I deserve some peace and quiet here. College students, you know, I paid to be here. And I paid a lot of money. So I deserve, you know, fill in the blank. Or everyone's favorite. And this happens annually. It's my birthday. Okay, so I get I get all the trees. You want to say this? I get all the trees and all. You know, you guys better like post on my wall. Okay, so here's a message that we get loud and clear. Big bold message that comes to us all the time. Here's a picture of it. You deserve it. <laughs> this is found all over the place. I was driving to New Mexico, and if you ever driven on the ten through the desert. Uh, there's a, the Continental Divide. It's a big convenience uh, store type of thing. They sell fireworks and explosives and things like that. Uh, anyways, they sell all kinds of things. Don't ask me how I know that. <laughs> uh, all you see for miles and miles are billboards just promoting this one store. And on one of the billboards, you don't know, see anything else for miles, but this billboard says, it's got a giant ice cream cone. It says, you deserve a treat. And you're driving, and I was driving, and I was like, yeah. I do deserve a treat, <laughs> and I'm going to get one in 43 miles. <laughs> Marketing is just dripping with this idea. You deserve it. And this, it already bubbles pretty near to the surface for most of us anyway, so this is a pretty easy sell. You know, we, we can fall into this. Here's another message you might find floating around the Internet. Believe you deserve it, and the universe will serve it. Mmm, <laughs> that sounds great, right? What is it like? To live with somebody who has this sense of entitlement. You know, maybe this person is very demanding. Uh, maybe there's some high expectations that you feel when you walk in the room. And this is hard. It's, it's, you know, it's difficult to be around people uh, that live with this sense of entitlement. It's interesting. C.S. Lewis wrote, uh, he's a brilliant professor, author. He describes this, this concept of pride and arrogance in this way. He says, there's this one vice of which no man in the world is free which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any people ever imagine that they are guilty themselves. Very interesting. What is it like to be this person? Maybe it's me. <laughs> when, when we're guided by the delusions of what I want, what I deserve, what I have rightfully earned for myself, it's, it's hard to live that way. It's hard to live under this delusion because we just end up demanding that God or that people give us what we deserve. And it's exhausting because it's usually fruitless. We may, we may get something out of the strategy, but you know it's just not enough. And we've got to just keep pounding it. Our best energy and our best focus gets spent on narrow insignificance. So what are we entitled to? So maybe not all the treats. Maybe not all the enduring praise and love of people everywhere all times. 
we should be entitled to something reasonably like a happy life, right? Maybe, maybe it's okay to expect a little bit of respect from the people around me. Or maybe a fair amount of recognition for my work. Is that too much to ask? Jesus has an answer to this question. And it came in the form of a short, punchy story. One of the things that Jesus did is, is he told people stories. And when he talked, he would challenge their perspectives about reality. What would truly lead to a life of contentment? What would really lead to eternal blessing? And many of his listeners, I think like many of us, don't like having their beliefs challenged. I don't like to be wrong. And even if I find out I'm wrong, I don't want to admit it. <laughs> so these stories would kind of work their way around in people's minds. And so he uses this storytelling tool to get people's attention. He would uh, explain a better way to live. He'd use the fictitious characters and, and create this story to illustrate a concept. These are known as parables. Throughout the series, we've been looking at a handful of them. There's over 40 recorded in the Bible. And the story or the parable that we're going to look at today answers this question about what we deserve. But coming from Jesus, it almost feels a little bit cold and frank. In Luke 17, Jesus tells this story. Suppose one of you have a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say when the servant comes in from the field, come along now and sit down and eat? Now imagine a hard day of physical labor. You know, this servant's out plowing, he's probably in the heat, it's a hot place. Imagine being some, some job that's out in the hot California sun in the middle of August. You know, it's dirty. You're exhausted, you get worn down, and you're incredibly thirsty. That's, you know, imagine that kind of job. And Jesus says, won't the master rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink, and after that you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? And the implied answer here is no. <laughs> I'm sorry, but no. The, the servant gets no thanks, the servant gets no rest, no re- recovery time, just more work to do more serving another human being. Think for a moment about all your responsibilities. Think about your job, your work, other responsibilities or schedules that you need to keep, uh, the, you know, chores around the house, all that's involved there. Maybe you have some commitments at church. Think about the other people that you're responsible to help or to serve. Think about your spouse, your kids, whether they're grown or, or children uh, or small. Think about extended family members. Think about all of the ways that you expend yourself. And you, and you really do what's required. And you really, you really put your energy out there. Now in your mind, feel the weight of all the tasks and the people on your plate. The next thing that Jesus says, in the next verse he says, So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, when you've really handled your responsibilities and the tasks, and you've expended yourself, you should say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Wow. This passage shows just how much we actually deserve. After we've done it all, we've really, really expended ourselves for other people. We can say, I'm a good-for-nothing slave. I'll stay up late, I'll do the dishes, and I'll clean my house up real good, and I'll I'll sacrifice some sleep, and next morning I'm silently waiting for some recognition. (laughs) Waiting for my wife to notice, like, hey, good job, honey, it looks really clean in here. You know, and if she doesn't, I'm I'm like a pathetic puppy dog, just like waiting, like, somebody somebody notice me. I can do something really significant in secret, but then I'm just burning on the inside for someone to notice and pat me on the back. An unworthy servant. Uh, Unworthy means not deserving of attention. It means not deserving of respect. Unworthy means ineligible and unqualified. 
Being someone's slave or servant is, is a pretty low status already, but to be an unworthy one? If, if our sense of entitlement is the delusion, then the reality is seeing myself as an unworthy servant. Did you know that Jesus himself actually lived this way all the way from birth through his death? We see pictures of him being born in the manger, and most of the time, around Christmas time, it's usually like really like warm, like well-lit, just kind of cozy, blanket kind of thing. Uh, we sang a song earlier in the service. It says, Jesus came from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt. I think less like the cozy, warm stable, and it's more like, you know, they tried to go to the Motel 6, and it was full, and she had to have this baby, and the only place they could go was the back parking lot of the Motel 6. Dirty, smelly, and pretty unsafe, more than likely. This is our Savior's grand entrance into the world. Really? And then when he started his public ministry, here's the man that that gave the announcement to everyone to know. John the Baptist. Some people thought he was crazy. He was kind of rough around the edges. He spoke pretty intensely. You know, this is the guy. Compare this to when a new king or queen gets uh, put on the throne in England or somewhere. You know, they, they just stop all the television. You know, the roads are paved with, you know, with people and there's, you know, music and everything. This is Jesus' welcome. John the Baptist. You know, this is a, this is a very humbling, humbling way to start. And then when he was in his ministry, he, Jesus didn't have enough money. So he received financial support from the people who followed him. He's support raised. And then when he, the week before he died, he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. You know, if I was writing this story, I'd probably, you know, put him on a white stallion or something. <laughs> He's on a donkey, you know, just a low, you know, a low animal. And, and really, just as highlights throughout his life, he maintained a low position. He didn't lord his position over people. And then constantly, people accused him of, you know, he accused his character with vicious slander. They spoke against him, and he just took it. He didn't retort, retaliate. He was thinking, what, what's going to be the most effective way for me to serve the maximum amount of people? And then finally, his death. One of the most painful, barbaric, and humiliating wise, ways to die in history is crucifixion. And he didn't do anything to deserve it. He did it for us, on our behalf. In every step of his life, his birth, his life, and his death, Jesus lived as a lowly servant to the people around him. Jesus deserved everything, but he demanded nothing for himself. Jesus deserved everything, but he demanded nothing for himself. The most powerful being in the universe, making very little of himself. You'd you'd almost think that his depth of service is a bit unreasonable. You you know, if if you're writing the story, he's like, yeah, you know, why don't you humble yourself a little bit? Let's not get carried away here. (laughs) It's almost, it almost seems unreasonable how low he made himself to reach more people, to communicate what was important. In John, the book of John, it says, He was in the world, the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. Even though he made the world and everyone in it, people didn't recognize who he was or what he was there for or what he was going to do. This is not just some guy. This was the Son of God. The God of the universe who came in the living flesh. Is this not astonishing that the all-powerful God acts this way? Our whole world yearns to be served. And yet, serving others is at the very heart of God. It's in his very character and nature. It's, it's a high, high value for him. It flows, service flows out of his love for us, his creation. It's a very upside-down way of seeing life. What we truly deserve is a much harder life than we have now and a much quicker death. 
Each of us was a careful creation of a loving God, but we start sinful right out the gate. You know, in our hearts, we reject God, we reject his words in the Bible, and we want to live as our own self-ruling God or goddess. Because of our inborn stubborn refusal to submit ourselves to God, the one who created us, what we truly deserve is to be eternally separated from him. And after we die, that's the punishment in the Bible known as hell. Later in this book of John, it says, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But get this. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is staggering to me. This is amazing that that he himself paved the way for us to gain access into his family, to become children, sons and daughters of the living God. This is an incredible privilege. Any other good thing we get in life is gravy. We don't deserve a thing. And, and after we've done a little good for God or we've, we've done something good for people, we think we ought to get a little recognition. I think that's because we have very little idea of the cost to buy us. Jesus paid it all. He paid the ultimate price for us. And he didn't have to. And since he paid for us, well, that means we're his slaves. In 1 Corinthians it says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? And and this is tough to swallow. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. When things are going bad in life and things are rough and, and, and things are totally falling apart, it's really easy to say, for all of us, it just comes to natural, natural to say, God, why are you letting this happen? You're letting this happen to me now. I thought you loved me. Or, or if this is happening, there must not be a God. Or he just doesn't care. I think that question is a little bit more helpful in reverse. God, it is hard right now. But why have you spared me from so much? It could be so far worse. Why have you given me so much? The difference is asking from a delusion of entitlement or from a position of gratitude. And what's more, all the things that we usually hang our hats on, the stuff that we, we want props and recognition for, our skills, our talents, what we've accomplished, we have no control over those things. I have no control over my height, my appearance, or my, my body type. I had no say in where I was born. In this country, or in this time period even, I had no control over that. In fact, nobody in my life did either. I had no control over my, my personality, uh, you know, if I'm gifted with people skills, or if I can make a sale, or if I'm a musician, or if I'm talented, or if I'm a singer, or an artist. You know, we can hone our, our abilities, but ultimately, we can't pick. If I have opportunities to advance in life, or to grow, or I just come across somebody and make a great connection, we don't have control over every, any of that. John 3.27 says, A person can only receive what is given him from heaven. All the good things that we have in life come directly from God. And it's out of his benevolent goodness, his love for us, that he chose to save us and adopt us. Romans 8 says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. This is not a position we could have ever done anything to earn. And now we're heirs of the King, the King of the universe. And we can receive all the good things that Jesus gets as the truly worthy firstborn son. And so this big idea, this is the backdrop for understanding Jesus' parable. The one that seems a little harsh at first. We're so deeply loved as God's children. But we also have a duty. After we've done it all, all, all we can say is, 
we've only done our duty. And we must remind ourselves often, my reality, I'm an unworthy servant. And at first glance, this is a hard statement to say out loud. If you try saying it, it might feel like a self-demeaning thing to say. You know, whatever happened to positive talk, you know, self-esteem. I'll be the first to admit, I think pretty highly of myself enough already. I don't need any extra help. This statement actually brings me back down to reality. And it's had a credible impact on me. At times when I'm stressed or I'm frustrated, things are not going my way or I'm feeling snubbed by people and I say this out loud, I'm an unworthy servant. It's like a release valve. I suddenly, you know, I can release the stress, the the need to control things, the need to get what I need. What a blessed release this can be. Who in your life most often causes you frustration? Maybe you have a boss or a coworker that is perpetually frustrating. Or maybe you have a neighbor that has a habit and it, it drives you crazy. Maybe you're frustrated with your spouse or your children. It could be someone from church or, or a family member. Very often I find that my routine frustrations with people flow out of my sense of entitlement. In my delusion, I believe I'm owed far more from them. I'm owed to be helped. I'm owed to be recognized. You know, or, or I'm just owed for, you know, just leave me alone. Let me take a nap. <laughs> Give me space to enjoy what I want. I owe, you, know, you owe that to me. Or, or I'm owed for things to be kept clean and put well kept. For people to stop letting me down. What if, instead of focusing on what all these people aren't giving me, in the very moment of irritation, we choose instead to say, I am an unworthy servant. I will release what I want, and I'm going to serve their interests instead. Back in my college dorm, the way that could have looked, I could have used some of my, you know, my hard-earned college cash, and I could have bought some, some dog food or dog treats for that you know, thing that was driving me crazy. <laughs> or I could have gone down, walked into the yard, and cleaned up the dog do. That's what a servant or a slave would do, right? That was the farthest thing from my mind. If, and if you would have suggested that, I would have, <laughs> I would have pushed that away. Jesus himself set the example by serving us so that we can reflect that in our attitude towards others. And he said in Mark, whoever wants, us to, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man, even Jesus himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This can be a pretty hard passage for anyone to read who has a leadership position, or if you have influence, or if you're a boss, or if you're over a team or a group. Because when we rise in leadership, we have a tendency to excuse ourselves from service. You know, I'm at, I'm at the stage where I've, I've, I've risen and passed that. You know, I've, I've paid my time. I don't have to do the low stuff anymore. I, I was doing a work project at one of our partner churches, and we were moving a huge amount of dirt, and we're, we're moving it to a different part of the property, and we're just out there in the sun. It's in July. We're shoveling big mounds of dirt. It's dusty. We're, we're just getting covered in dirt. And then the project manager from that church uh, brings us a four-wheel ATV so that we could load it up and, and transport the stuff out of there. And naturally, as the leader of the team, I thought, well, I get to be the driver. <laughs> Drop my shovel and uh, start driving things. You know, I started driving around. Everyone else is still working hard. And I, I'm thinking about this. I'm like, what am I doing? Why is it so natural for me to assume the privileged, entitled position? I let someone else drive. I picked up a shovel and I started digging in the dirt again. 
The ladder to leadership goes down, not up. Jesus says leaders are the one, you know, the truly great ones are the ones who become slaves and servants to the people that they lead. Maybe you can think of a specific way to apply this approach, this attitude towards someone in your life. On the back of your handout, there's a chart, how I can be a servant, and then fill in the blanks. Now or later, how can I be a servant to my spouse, my children, a boss or a neighbor, that difficult person? Fill in as many ideas as you can. And put, who, else is on, who else should be on that list? A landlord, friends, or, or a roommate. Where in your life is there tension in a relationship? Those are the hot spots where we're starting to get delusional, where, where we're focused on ourselves. What would be the impact in those tense relationships if you started acting like their servant? Hmm. There's another man that lived this way. His name was Nate Saint. He grew up in the 30s. He developed a love for flying. He wanted to fly in the military, but he had a leg injury, and that stopped that. He discovered that God wired him with an incredible mechanical mind and a love for flying that made him an ideal person to to work in the jungles of Ecuador with a a missionary uh, program there. So there was missionaries that would travel through the the remote tribes of Ecuador, deep in the jungle. Uh, Missionaries are servants already. This guy chose to be a servant to the servants. He took a very low position. And so his home, along with his wife and his kids, uh, it became a guest house, a radio center, a support base for a lot of people to do ministry. And so he would just burn every hour of daylight that he could in his small yellow airplane and covering incredible distances, bringing food, medicine, supplies, transporting people in need, missionaries, natives. He would sometimes cover distances in a single morning and just pedal to the metal You'd cover distances that would require 40 days of hard hiking for one of the missionaries. And then after some time, he sensed a call to bring the good news of Jesus to the Alka Indians. Uh, these Indians were a murderous tribe, notorious for killing any intruders without being provoked. Just totally, you know, it was a very dangerous, highly, you know, almost crazy thing to conceive of doing. But Nate Saint didn't live in the delusion about my life is about me, or, or what, what I want. He viewed himself as the lowest servant already. And so he and four other men, including a man named Jim Elliott, they established contact with his tribe, and the first contact did seem positive. They had paved the way by dropping you know, some goods and supplies. Uh, five days later, they make contact again, and all five of them were speared multiple times until they died in the river. The unworthy servant made the biggest act of sacrifice possible for other people. What's amazing about this story is that his family took the baton and they continued establishing contact with this tribe. Eventually, that whole tribe converted to Christianity and then they, in turn, brought the good news about Jesus to other people in other areas of of Ecuador. Thousands of people have come to Christ because of what Nate Saint and those men started. Nate's son, Steve, he, he became a Christian, he grew up, And then he was later baptized in the very same river where his father was speared to death. You see a picture here. And one of the men baptizing him was the man who killed his own dad. What's amazing about the son, Steve, he he spoke in some interviews later on. He says, I I harbor no resentment against this tribe. Wow. He said, though the pain and the heartache of losing my dad, that'll never go away. And I never stopped feeling that. 
But given the chance to rewrite the story, I would not be willing to change it. Are you kidding me? How can a person live like that? That is that that seems totally unreasonable. Nate Saint and his son Steve lived with the perspective that life is not about me. It's about serving others. That's the high value for God. That's the, that's at the top of the list. This story has become fairly well known over the years, but I wonder how many other stories are like this, but they've never been told. Some of the greatest stories are written about men and women who did things that nobody knew about until they were long dead and gone. Which means they got no praise, no recognition, no pats on the back. They just did it. And they paid a price. But look at the impact. Deep sacrifice can be done. And for decades, received no recognition. Jesus, who deserved everything, demanded nothing for himself. And we, the ones who are truly unworthy, we yearn to be served by others and feel that it's our right. The worship team is going to come to the stage and we're going to sing a song. Uh, The chorus goes like this. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. That that sets the framework for how, how we live this way. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson red stain, but he washed it white as snow. Your actions, your thoughts, my actions and thoughts, the way we go about life, it reveals how we answer this question. Is God here for me? Or am I here for God? This is one of the key questions in all of life. And if we think God is here for us, boy, it's going to be a hard life. Demanding, you know, if we just demand that God or that people give us what we deserve is exhausting and usually fruitless. And demanding with that intensity, it, it, it can lead to bitterness. It can ruin our relationships. We just feel chapped and offended, unsatisfied. We spend all this energy and frustration on things that are narrow and insignificant. Before he died, Nate Saint said this. People who do not know the Lord ask, why in the world do we waste our lives as missionaries? But they forget. They too are expending their lives. And when the bubble is burst and they have nothing of eternal significance to show for the years they have wasted. God wants us to grasp just how much that he can do through us. We can become conduits of his blessing and his love for people. We can team up with what he's doing on the bigger picture of things. We can help lead people towards help and towards eternal life. And in the moment of tension, when there's frustration or irritation with someone, we say under our breath, I'm an unworthy servant. And and begin serving people. You know, focusing on what we want and what we deserve, it makes us stuck. But this statement really frees us up. It frees us up to really love people well and become characterized as people. uh, As someone who just loves people throughout life. If our focus is to serve, what might God accomplish through our lives? There's joy that we can get in working with, with God. He, he's our Heavenly Father. He's Dad. We're sons and daughters of the King. Who knows what great things He has in store for us. I'd like to lead us in prayer. Father God, we can get so easily self-absorbed and focused on what we want. And, and when we do that, we make a mess of things. So I thank you, Father, for personally demonstrating a much better way through Jesus. His example shows us more of who you really are 
and that serving others is a high value for you. Lord, would you please help us to see our condition more clearly for what it is and not to be blinded in the moments of frustration or difficulty with others. Would you put in our hearts the desire to move towards people with a desire to serve, ultimately knowing that's what pleases you. Every good thing we have comes directly from you and we don't deserve any of it. So we thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you've been encouraged by the message and equipped to move forward in obedience to God's word. Join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast.